Power 5 proportionate. BYU football fills a P5 scheduling requirement for Power 5 programs. But should it be that way? One national writer questions the status quo. The doctor, pastor, and former cornerback Derwin Gray joins us, plus Olympian and top 10 Boston marathoner Jared Ward. BYU football will win two of the first four football games in 2019. Yes or no? Let's go! This is BYU Sports Nation, brought to you by the BYU Store, simulcast on BYU-TV and BYU-Radio. Now, from Studio B, here's Spencer Linton and Jerem Jordan. BYU Sports Nation is live, your day-to-day play-by-play in Studio B, presented by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. It is Wednesday, April 17th, wherever and however you're connected. Great to have you with us. I am Spencer Linton, teamed up with Power 5 broadcaster equivalent, Jerem Jordan. Yeah, I'm fine being the Boise State of... The, the other guys, the king of the group of five <laughs> broadcasters. I want to be, yeah, I want to be the the Brigham. So, fun fact: we have two makeup rooms here at BYU Broadcasting. One is mm-hmm. much bigger than the other, and mm-hmm. uh, you have, I think, this is perfect. Dubbed the nice bigger makeup room, the Power Five. Yeah, makeup it's room. It's nicer. It has more money put into it. That's the idea. <laughs> and the other smaller one, the group, of, the group five of five. Yeah, we makeup room. We don't have an independent room though. <laughs> We're like Notre Dame and BYU hang out. And we got to work on that. UMass one. and yeah. Old Dominion. We got to work on it. Hey, another jam packed show, episode 1486, for those wondering. Okay. Features former NFL and BYU defensive back Derwin Gray. He's the life coach we all need, so prepare to be inspired. Plus, a man that finished top 10 in the Boston Marathon hit his target time. So what's next for Jared Ward in his professional running career? He's in Studio B. We're on target for today's BYUSN headlines. USA Today's DraftWire ranks Sione Takitaki as the 18th best linebacker available in the 2019 NFL Draft, according to his social media. Takitaki visited the Los Angeles Chargers of San Diego yesterday. I'd love to see Sione in powder blue, which are, by the way, their primary home uniforms now. Yeah, Zach Wilson on Twitter was like, why can't BYU change the Royal Sea? They did it. Takitaki visiting the Houston Texans today. BYU softball beats uh, Utah Valley 9-1 in five innings last night. Three Cougars hit homers, including Olivia Sanchez, a pinch hit homer, Alyssa Podoracek, and Riley Jensen. Jensen hit well to center field. Out of here! A home run to lead things off for Riley Jensen, and her bat continues to be red hot. Speaking of Riley Jensen, Jerem, she's now hit safely in 11 of her last 13 at-bats. Fantastic. She's also named the Louisville Slugger National Player of the Week by the National Fast Pitch Coaches Association. Jensen went 9 for 10 last week, reached base safely 11 out of 12 plate appearances, doubled, tripled, homered, drove in four runs, scored five times, and managed to clean the entire house. As you just saw, homered last night. BYU going to need some more Riley as they host number three Washington tonight at 8 Eastern on BYU TV Digital. Number three Washington, fantastic. And the BYU men's decathlon team is ranked number one in the country right now with Ben Barton, Brian Matthews, Dallin Vorkink, and Caleb Witzkin. All rise and shout. It's time for What's Trending. You're talking about it, and so are we. It's What's Trending on BYU Sports Nation. BYU football, as currently constituted, meets a Power 5 scheduling equivalent, but Amy Dodders, a writer for FB Schedules, 
is challenging the status quo, recalling BYU's recent record against Power 5 teams, comparing that record to some group of five teams and essentially saying maybe BYU shouldn't be valued that way. Jerem, do you agree with the premise that BYU's results versus Power 5 opponents do not warrant being considered a P5 scheduling equivalent? Well, she's looking at the last five years. I would say the last two years weren't particularly great seasons, obviously, for BYU. Four and uh, seven wins. So if you only look at the last five years, maybe. But I think you need to look beyond that. BYU is a program with tangible prestige in the form of a contract with ESPN, in the form of they're the last non-Power 5 team with an national championship, a Heisman winner, and a Doak Walker award. Like, show me another school that is even close to that, okay? She also didn't value uh, or differentiate between Power 5 opponents. I think you have to look at who you play. There's a difference between Alabama and uh, Washington State and Baylor and Vanderbilt, right? Where you play, home, road, neutral, and when you play. Yes, yes, and yes. So I have an issue with that. Um, And in terms of uh, looking at how BYU's fared the last 20 years, at Cougar stats, Wayden, long-term, meaning the last 20 years, BYU has the best win percentage versus Power 5 teams of any non-Power 5 conference school. So if you go past 5, you go to 20, it's the best. Relative to other Power 5 schools, BYU's 43% win rate versus Power 5 is 46, better than roughly a third of Power 5s. So I I think that if you just focus on the last five years, perhaps, and perhaps you say, well, that's what you are, right, the last five years. But I think you have to look beyond that. And the fact that BYU's had a coaching change and uh, had some major injuries and has leveled up in, in scheduling, and perhaps that's been to BYU's detriment. I don't know. BYU is also playing more Power 5 teams than Group of 5 teams because of their independent status. And then you might say, well... Maybe BYU should take the form of a team like UCF who has just crushed it the last few years. They're the model. They're the ones that deserve to be Power 5 equivalent, which brings us to our stat of the day. It's the BYU Sports Nation stat of the day. Fun fact, UCF is 3-8 and eight in the past five seasons against Power 5 teams. Yeah, Stats if you look, are for losers. Uh, what? In the last two years, UCF has lost one game, right? But the third season ago, they were winless. They didn't win a game. So, yeah, I, I think you got to look at Boise State, too. Six and five, okay? Just a hair over 500. BYU's okay. at 39%. All right. right? Uh, Houston, six and two. Okay, which so is now Houston, better, Houston right? has a case, yeah. right? And, and look. Teams aren't scheduling BYU because of what they've done the last two years or even five. They're scheduling BYU because of the brand that BYU is. Because if they schedule BYU and it's neutral or in Provo, that game's on ESPN. Like, there's way more than just a win-loss record. And you have to look at where you're playing, when you're playing, who you're playing. BYU's played at Wisconsin, at Nebraska, at Michigan State. At Texas, at Cal, at Arizona, and won those games recently. Okay? That's very impressive. Also, you just saw the numbers. BYU's played 23 games against Power 5 teams in the last five years. The next closest of those teams we brought up, 11 games. Boise State's played 11. More than double, right? UCF's played 11. Houston's only played eight against right. Power 5 teams in the past five seasons. Naturally, that number's going to be lower because they're in a conference where they're going to play eight or nine conference games. So that makes sense. And, and yeah, to your point, it's, it's going to be okay. And, and BYU is in a different spot, right? We're going to have Amy Dodders on tomorrow and discuss the article. 
um, and and her thoughts. She's not all like negative at BYU. She's just stating kind of the case here. Sure. Because there are certain teams, Utah, Tennessee, Washington, their non-power five single uh, you know game on the schedule that is required, or their sorry, their power five game is BYU. So she's asking if that's fair. Yeah, and I think it's an interesting topic, which is why we're going to bring her on the show tomorrow. I'd love to hear from each of the commissioners of the Power Five conferences in regard to the BYU status as well. They're not so narrow-minded, right? They're looking at uh, more than just that. Yesterday, dual sport athlete Jaron Hall joined the program. During our conversation, he had this to say about his desire to get on the field this fall. Yeah, anyway, I'm on the field. That's how I'll be on the field, whether it's that quarterback or lined up, however they have me. And I'm here to play. I'm here to play football, however that comes. You know, I'm going to compete to be a quarterback, and then we'll let that day of decision, you know, kind of happen. Okay. Spencer, what will Jaron Hall's role be this fall? He'll be the backup quarterback to Zach Wilson. And there will be some specialty packages where Jaron Hall is on the field as the quarterback. Perhaps they run a little formation switch up and Zach Wilson runs out as a wide receiver and Jaron Hall's in there in this wildcat situation where everyone thinks he's going to run but maybe they throw it to throw off the defense there will be some trick plays in there with Jaron Hall involved but he'll primarily be the backup quarterback and what that has meant recently Jerem is at some point during the season he'll be the starting quarterback for at least one game because this is the trend that is BYU football and independence and let's knock on wood first hold on just a second Okay, just not going to win. Yeah, you, you don't want injury or ineptitude to be the case, but Jaron Hall seems like he's at a solid spring. He has not been a starter yet, but he seems like a guy that could be a, a quality and qualified starter should it come to that at some point. It's going to be an interesting saga with Zach Wilson here because Zach is, uh, is a true sophomore and Jaron is a redshirt freshman, so only one year of uh, differential there. I'm with you. I think he's the backup quarterback, but what he said is interesting. What he said alludes to the idea that he would be open to more than what you suggested, right? Yet, if you, I don't think you want to put your backup quarterback in at slot occasionally or running back or whatever. He's one play away, knock on wood again, he's got to be ready. And in Independence, we've chronicled it, 40% of the time in Independence, the Game 1 starter misses... 40, he misses 40% of starts in that season. And a lot of that was Taysom Hill's injuries, but... Last year, Tanner Mangum wasn't good enough, so they made the switch in Game 7. You hope, and the ex- expectation for Zach Wilson is that he is fantastic and that Jaron Hall doesn't have to do a ton as the backup quarterback, and perhaps you maybe get a little brave and you put him out there a little bit, but I would love to see Jaron just continue to develop as a QB because your peak seasons aren't your first two. They're your last two, typically. We kind of forget that sometimes. Whoa, T.J. Haas is like way better. He's a junior. The only child's, oh my gosh, she's like taking the sleep. He's a junior. Like, you don't peak typically until later. A couple of observations on Jaron Hall that really have nothing to do with what you just said, Jaron, but I want to get it out there. One, he looks like <laughs> Kyle Van Noy, okay? He, he does. He's got like <laughs> Kyle's face. And two, people naturally compare him to a Taysom Hill skill set because he is a dynamite athlete, That's and he so, can do a lot of things. That so wide. I know. He can run and pass, therefore he's I know. this guy. I know, no, but that's, no. that's the rhetoric that is developing. And I, it's like, okay, slow down, slow down. Let him develop. Let him see what he really is. And if you ask Jaron and his dad and his brother, the dude likes to throw the ball. In his mind, he is a passing quarterback more than a running quarterback, but where does Jeff Grimes value him the most? That's right. where we'll see him implemented into the offense. You're always going to fight that stigma with African-Americans. 
And BYU's never had an African-American quarterback. He's not Taysom Hill. He's the most unique quarterback BYU's ever had in that he's the first African-American. So I love it. I think Jaron Hall could be a playmaker on this team, and hopefully we won't see much of it because that would mean Zach Wilson is healthy. Like If, if it comes to a situation where Jaron has to come in due to injury or something, then I'm feeling okay about the status yes. of BYU football. I feel like he's been prepared enough. He'd ha- he's had a season. He's had a spring. And now he's ready for Utah. Mm-hmm. Countdown to the Utes. One thirty-four. One hundred thirty-four. Did one thirty-four? Oh, my you didn't bad. get my text. I did not get that text. Oh shoot! I sent it on Slack. <laughs> my bad. No, you didn't. Foe. I'll send it right now. So it's one thirty. So every time we encounter four in the countdown. Is this the status quo moving forward? Yeah, it needs to be foe. Yeah. Foe days away. Girl acted like she'd never seen a 10 before. Oh, oh my goodness. I don't know yeah. if I can get on board for that. Okay. We'll have to discuss later. Whatever, man. Jared Ward finished <laughs> top 10 in the Boston Marathon and added to his very impressive resume. He's been an Olympian. Yeah. He was number six in Rio. He's had a dynamite post-BYU career, and he is one of just a bevy of BYU athletes that are enjoying recently these amazing post-BYU runs in their respective professional careers. That said, Jerem, which former Cougar has had the best post-BYU career in recent memory? It's hard to argue with Jared Ward, okay? In fact, he's had a better post-career than BYU career, which is kind of what you want. You keep getting better, right? Like you mentioned, sixth in the Olympics, which is unbelievable. <laughs> Eighth in the Boston Marathon, a.k.a. second fastest non-Kenyan. They were, uh, I think, seven or eight of the top ten. They are amazing. I'm going to throw Kyle Van Noy out there as well. Okay, um, He was in Detroit. We had Steve Young on the show. We taped it the day before. And mid, we tell Steve, hey, he's, uh, he just got... Kyle Van Noy just got traded to the Patriots, and he says he just won the Super Bowl. Well, he's won two in the last three years, and that's been a great situation. He's become a better player, too. Career-high 92 tackles this season, 10 quarterback hits. In fact, Kyle Van Noy scored two touchdowns this year, a scoop and score on defense and a scoop and score off a blocked punt on special teams. I think Kyle Van Noy's right there. The glimmer and the bling of the Super Bowl rings is hard to overcome in this conversation. And it's the Super Bowl, and it's the Patriots, and it's the NFL, right? His J- jersey Jared is Ward's, Jared Ward's stuff is right there. I'm like it's hard for me to know who's had a better career. It's there. tough. It's just not as notable, right? It's not nearly as much in the limelight. The Super Bowl sure. is the most watched broadcast in the entire world every year. Mm, every four years, it's the World Cup. But yeah. okay, yeah, in so, the United States, in the United States, yeah, in the like the Champions League final. That's probably viewed more than the Super Bowl outside the. I'd be interested to see the numbers. The point is, the Super Bowl is so highly publicized. Yeah. The guy like Kyle Van Noy is going to kind of float to the top, especially if he's playing for the Patriots and they're winning rings. His jersey's being sold in the Patriots Finally. home store now. Wait, like, literally last week? Like, what took so long? Why I wasn't don't know. his jersey in there? But he is, like, a Bill Belichick guy officially now. Like, he's he feels like he's going to be there for the rest of his football career. Yeah. I, I don't know that Kyle Van Noy will oh. ever play somewhere else. Yeah, hopefully it is. They, they, they shed... Uh... Dead weight late, though, in careers, so who knows? He's won two championships at the it's highest early. level yeah. in a very, very competitive, lucrative profession in the National Football League. So my answer, yes, is Kyle Van Noy. The funny thing is, as you pointed out, it was not close to being that like three years ago. Yeah. He was mired in Detroit, injured, unhappy, and not really playing. Mired is the exact right word. And we got to get this guy paid, man. 
He yeah, he he made four point two. He's got more than that. Let's go. Is this a contract year? I think Kyle is Oh, about, sorry. He he was paid two last year. That's it. That's nothing. He's about in the NFL. Due. Oh, he's he's, he's this next year. earned himself some serious yeah. money with his next contract. Yeah. Had a sack in the Super Bowl. Our question of the day: Which BYU Cougar has had the best post-collegiate career in recent memory? Let's go to Voice of the Nation. This is the Voice of the Nation on BYU Sports Nation. At Lauren JS in on Instagram. Kyle Van Noy, can you really argue with two Super Bowl championships? The dude is a primary member of his team. The next closest overall success would be Ziggy Ansah. Yeah, Ziggy's been one of the best defensive linemen. We're still waiting to hear what the what's next for Ziggy Ansah this season. Jimmer Fredette's had a tremendous uh, career as well, perhaps because he's in China, um, you know, for the last three years until recently. That uh, dithers it a little bit, but yeah, lots of lots of successful guys. Taylor Sander. In volleyball. He's been an Olympian. He's been an Olympian, uh, won some titles, been awesome. So, yeah, there's tons of great Cougars uh, after BYU. Coming up, Olympian top 10 Boston Marathoner, the aforementioned Jared Ward is in studio. But first, prepare to be motivated and inspired. The life coach we all need, Derwin Gray, former NFL and BYU defensive back, joins the program. What does he think of Jaron Hall? This is BYU Sports Nation. BYU Sports Nation is presented by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Riley Jensen, National Player of the Week, and BYU softball host number three Washington with Morgan Flores in her 15 home runs this season. Tonight, 8 Eastern on BYU TV Digital. Riley Jensen is a wizard as of late, National Player of the Week, taking on one of the best programs in the country. Live from Studio B with your day-to-day BYU Sports play-by-play, I'm Spencer Linton alongside Jerem Jordan. Joining us now on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline, first guest of the day, one of our favorites. He is a pastor, he is a motivator, he is a doctor, Derwin Gray, again, former NFL defensive back. Derwin, great to have you back on the program. Hey, I'm glad to be with you guys. I always enjoy my time. A few weeks ago, we discussed whether there was a potential quarterback controversy brewing with Zach Wilson and Jaron Hall. You responded on Twitter saying the coaches are going to have a very hard time keeping a guy like Jaron off the field. What kind of role do you think he will play this fall for BYU? Well, I think the first uh, the first thing is uh, Zach Zach Wilson is phenomenal for a freshman. Uh, the things that he was able to do athletically, uh, his throwing motion, the way he commanded the huddle, he is phenomenal. Um, I think when you look back at Jaron's uh, recruiting film and how he was able to do what he was able to do with the athletes he had, and now that he's had a year to uh, get his feet and his arm back underneath him. Uh, BYU has a really good problem because when I think of Jaron, um, I think of a Russell Wilson type. And so uh, it, one of the best problems that Coach Kalani and Coach Grimes can have is two very, very good quarterbacks. And uh, Jaron uh, is a complete package. Uh, Wilson is a complete package. So I'm looking forward to seeing those two guys push each other and thus, that's going to raise the level of play of the entire team, not just the offense. Derwin, I feel like this uh, spring was the best-case scenario for BYU. Zach has a minor shoulder issue. He has surgery. He's getting it fixed. That gave Jaron Hall number one reps, and he was the number one guy. I feel like this was a great situation for BYU at the quarterback spot. Uh, you know, you never want to see uh, a young player like Wilson get hurt. Um 
But football is what it is, and it's next man up. And so for Jaron, it allowed him to be able to get some reps. You could uh, see the snap is coming back on his ball. Um, the highlights that I've seen, uh, he made some guys look absolutely silly uh, just with his capacity to run. And so in this day and age of spread offense, if you have a quarterback that can throw and run the zone read, and, you know, and Jared's probably a 215, 210-pound kid, um, so that's some pretty good size running 4'4", four, 4'5". Four, four, uh, Wilson is athletic as well, but I do think it was a good scenario in light of Wilson having surgery, but BYU – uh, has a quarterback who has seven starts under his belt. He's performed well. Uh, Jaron in a real game is yet to be proven, but we see the potential there. Do you envision that Jaron will be on the field at some point in some of these specialty packages, kind of like we saw him do against Boise State? Didn't work out so well, but I can't help but think Jeff Grimes sees his athleticism and says, okay, we got to figure out a way to get him on the field at least at some point, even though Zach is the projected starter. Yeah, you know, I'm not I'm not really for sure what Coach Grimes is going to do. I know that his plan will be solid. Um, it, it, it's it's just difficult because you don't want to just put Jaron in to run a zone read. Everybody's going to know. And the reality is Jaron may actually be a better passer uh, than he is runner, um, even though his running is elite. Um, so – you have to get get him on the field some kind of way. And the reality is, and I don't want to throw this out here, but but the reality is uh, when you're as talented as Jaron and you're getting back in the form, you know, it's going to be hard for a kid like him to be on a bench for three years when other programs need exceptional quarterback. So what do you do with him in that case? Like how do you take advantage of his skill set while still appeasing Zach Wilson? Well, that's why those guys make the big money, and that's why I'm sitting here working on my next two books. <laughs> we, you have a doctorate and you're a pastor. We thought you had all the answers. <laughs> you, you know, but, uh, but what I will say is I expect both men, uh, young men, to handle this with dignity and class, and I believe every day they're going to compete their tails off, and that can only make you better. That can only make you better. And, I mean, Zach Wilson is coming off an 18-for-18 game. I mean, good grief. So I'm excited about both those young quarterbacks. Now, what I will say is Zach Wilson at this point is game-proven. Jaron at this point has shown that in practice you see the glimpses. And so I'm sure they'll work out some kind of way to get him involved to use this skill set. And in independence, Derwin, we've seen that BYU's had to use two because the quarterbacks have been hurt. A lot of that was Taysom Hill. You hope a guy's not inept and then you have to bring in somebody else. But it's not the worst thing in the world to have two good ones. It just kind of depends on if Zach Wilson's consistently healthy – now maybe, now maybe Jaron gets antsy if he's an upperclassman. I don't know. But I think BYU's got a great problem here. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, coaches, the only people who don't like sitting on the bench is players. But coaches love to have depth. Uh, I mean, you know, that's, that's one of the, the things that we struggle with at BYU when we play, uh, you know, upper-level Power 5 teams is, I mean, they have depth. Uh, you, you know, my, my, my son's going to be, be playing 
at Wake Forest, and so I follow a lot of the ACC recruiting, and I'm looking at Clemson every year. They're getting four- and five-star corners and safeties, and I'm going, all those kids aren't going to play. There's going to be some folks sitting on the bench, but for Coach Sweeney, he's like, well, that's good for me because I just reload when someone gets hurt or doesn't play well. Derwin Gray with us on BYU Sports Nation. We love your passion for BYU football and for BYU athletics and certainly for your profession. So we kind of were thinking, I wonder what fires him up more, giving a sermon or thinking about that 1990 BYU team that beat Miami. <laughs> uh, well, it's, it's, it's not even close. That When I get a chance to preach the gospel, uh, there is nothing like it in the world. Uh, because before I can preach the gospel, the gospel preaches to, to me, and there's nothing greater uh, than the sheer grace of Jesus and and His love. And uh, uh, I mean, He's just simply epic. There's nothing as beautiful as He is. Uh, 1990 was great, but in 1990, I was spiritually blind. Uh, I didn't know who Christ was. Uh, but now, as the old uh, hymn writer says, I was blind, but but now I see is that I can see so much better because I'm wearing the filters of his love. But 1990 was incredible. I'll never forget get it. And, and for the fans that are listening, what I would say is help the team be great. Like, don't wait for the team to be great. Applaud the team like they're great now. Like, we literally fed off of the crowd's energy, and it broke my heart to watch several games at Lavelle Edwards Stadium, and there were whole entire empty sections. I mean, I felt like I was in another universe. I'm like, no, no, uh, Lavelle Edwards Stadium should be packed out all the time. So what I'm saying is see yourself as the 12th man. Like, don't cheer when the team does something good. Cheer the team into doing something good. Like, we literally fed off of the team's energy or, or, or the fans' energy. That so is, bring some energy to the game. That's what I'm saying. Amen. That is certainly the goal. Absolutely. Let's finish with this. So BYU is trying to return to the days of being ranked and, and uh, winning national awards and winning big games and beating Utah, right? That starts with the uh, first game there. But what are some of the major differences you see in the program perhaps today versus when you played? Yeah, you know, I think as I uh, as I analyze the program, uh, what I would say the a couple things. The first thing is is now there are other top flight football schools, academic schools, who will bring on LDS kids and say, "Hey, you can go on a two year mission." Whereas in my day, that was just unheard of. And so now a lot of the top LDS kids are going to Alabama or Ohio State or somewhere else, whereas back in the day, uh, BYU was the only game in town. And then I would say, secondly, from what I'm understanding, the academic standards to get into BYU is up there with like Stanford and Cal and a handful of other schools. Let me preface it with, with this. When I tell people my undergraduate degree is from BYU, their eyes light up because they understand that BYU is a world-class academic institution, and I am very proud of that degree that I have. And so I'm not advocating um, uh, lowering standards. What I am advocating is this, is that there are young men like me who came from an at-risk environment, 
who no one in her house graduated high school. Um, it wasn't that I wasn't smart. It's just I didn't know how to study. There, there, there were not people around me to help me. And so I got into BYU with a 16 ACT. It took me three times to get it. It was the bare minimum that I could get, but I made it. And then I made the most of my opportunity when I was there. And so not only uh, did I turn out to be a decent football player, uh, but I've used that academic platform to now have a earned doctorate and an honorary doctorate, and I just signed a contract to write two more books. So BYU afforded me an opportunity. They gave me a chance. And so analytics are important, but analytics don't tell the whole story. If you would have just looked at my test scores, you would have said, wow, this, this kid is not smart. But the reality was I didn't have the tools, and I think that's what a higher academic institution does is say, okay, uh, let's, beyond, let's look beyond the analytics to the person. And I'm an example of how analytics and test scores was not a true story of who I was and who I could be. And so I, I, I just think that from a recruiting perspective, BYU is already recruiting 1%, and then you cut that 1% into another 1%, and it makes the pool in which they can recruit from vastly different than, say, that school up north that's in red 45 miles away that is just kicking our tails, guys are getting drafted. Uh, I cannot bring myself to mention their name, even though I believe Jesus can forgive their sins too. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but the reality is, um, it, you know, uh, players make coaches great. And I think that Kalani and his staff – or a program that has to develop players, which every school should do. But frankly, Alabama doesn't have to develop players. Clemson doesn't really have to develop players. Um, these guys come in as, as grown men, <laughs> you know? And uh, so, you know, I tip my hat to Kalani and his staff for, for saying, we're at a school that means so much more, but yet they're still held to a high standard that we as fans expect to win 10 games a year, period. That's just what we do. That's who we are. Follow him at Derwin L. Gray on Twitter. An outstanding story. We appreciate uh, how inspired you make everyone feel. It's great to have you on. I do want to ask you now, at some point over the summer, probably as we get closer to the Utah game, we need you to uh, come on the show so you can give your uh, plea to BYU football of how they need to compete against Utah. Is, can we line that up? Yeah, well, let me say, say this really quick. What I say the day before the game pales uh, in comparison to what they need to be doing now. Uh, wins on Saturday happen in the off season, day by day, creating unity, believing in yourself, sacrifice, discipline, and a will to compete. Listen, I don't care if you win and lose, but every single play, you are competing. You got to compete, and you know when people are competing. There's passion, there's sacrifice, there's a not-give-up attitude, and that's why BYU back in the day could come back and tie San Diego State 51-51 when we were down by like 40 points because we never gave up. Derwin, fantastic stuff. Thank you so much for your time and your very busy schedule. We'll talk to you again soon. 
Peace out, my brothers. Bye. Peace out. Derwin Gray on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, your values, your timeline, your financial future. I love that guy. Love him. He's still Dewey to me. He needs to be on the show at least once a month. Yeah, Dr. Dewey. He's Dr. Good. Dewey. God. Does his under? I should have asked him. Does his undergraduate degree from BYU say Derwin or Dewey? It's pretty formal. Probably <laughs> Derwin, right? Coming up, he's faster than you and just took eighth in the Boston Marathon. Jared Ward is in the hole. And we play yes or no with five burning questions. Like, will BYU football win two of the first four? This is BYU Sports Nation. Oh, snap. We roll on BYU Sports Nation with another look at today's headlines. USA Today's Draft Wire ranks Sione Takitaki as the 18th best linebacker available in the 2019 NFL Draft. We think he's going to go somewhere maybe as high as the third round into the fifth round. According to his social media, Takitaki visited the L.A. Chargers yesterday, visiting with the Houston Texans today. BYU softball beats Utah Valley 9-1 in five innings last night. Three Cougars hit homers, including Olivia Sanchez, Alyssa Podoracek, and Riley Jensen, National Player of the Week. The Cougars host Washington tonight. They're number three, 8 Eastern on BYU TV Digital. Speaking of Riley Jensen, the Louisville Slugger National Player of the Week, according to the National Fast Pitch Coaches Association, she went 9 for 10 last week, reached base safely 11 out of 12 plate appearances. She also doubled, tripled, homered, drove in four runs, and scored five times in that series against Pacific. And the BYU men's decathlon team is ranked number one in the country right now. Ben Barton, Brian Matthews, Dallin Vorkink, and Caleb Wistkin. Wistkin? Wistkin. Yes, Wistkin. Uh, they still have to qualify for nationals and all that, but at the moment, pretty awesome, number one. Fantastic. Jerem, we should what? play a game, yes or no? Answer the question. Should we play it? Yes. Okay. Oh, sorry. I didn't. I didn't know where we were going already. <laughs> wow. Presented by BYU Food to Go, the MVP of your next event. I've always wanted to play this. It's just simple. Yes or no. Okay. Ben Bagley, we need a third member of the team in this uh, for our newest game. Yes or no. I'm here for you guys. Thank and let's you. start because you already did question one. We'll start with question two, Spencer. Yeah. yeah, okay. BYU football will win two of the first four games in 2019. I think yes. I think BYU goes two and two. I really do. If they go one and three, uh-oh, right? I think BYU gets two. I don't know which two, but I think they get two. Yes, because BYU has three home games in the first four. I think things will change for BYU and Provo. And starting with Utah. They, they better because going, starting going, with Utah. going 500 is typically not a thing that you should celebrate. But in this case, we will. Oh, two and two in the first four this season? If you said, okay, you can either risk it and play all four without knowing or I'll, I'm going to give you two wins. I would take two yes. right now. I would cut yes. my losses, literally two, mm-hmm. and just go two and two. Okay. Yeah. Number two, or is it number three, Ben? It's number three. Okay. BYU men's basketball will have equal or more than 19 wins next season. I'm going, I don't know, because I need to see the schedule. Like, the schedule will tell me, but I'm confident that BYU is going to be in this range. Yes, BYU will have 19 or more wins. Mark Pope will get enough out of his current roster that BYU, I think, wins 20 games, and they'll have a spot in the NIT. So you think, and and this is what we discussed recently, BYU is losing its best player, Yoli Childs, yet they will get better. The thing that would have to change in that that's the easiest, is the schedule. If it's not, then what you said, you have to get more out of those guys. An infusion of energy and culture and new non-stagnant air will help the program. It always does. It always does, especially with a guy like Mark Pope. 
He just brings energy and enthusiasm. I think he'll get the most out of the guys that stick around. Do you feel like it was stagnant? I do feel like it was stagnant. At the end, yeah. This yeah. run of NIT, uh, NITs and then yes. no NIT? Yeah, and that's... Yeah, not- no, I agree with you. I, I think um, change was warranted. I didn't expect it to be the head coach, but uh, perhaps that pushes BYU over the 19 number. Number four. BYU football will have multiple, multiple draft picks next week. No, I go one. I think Sione Takitaki's your guy. I would love to see Corbin Kafusi sneak in there in the seventh round or something, but my guess is that BYU will have one, so no. BYU will not have multiple draft picks, so no. It's the status quo. They get one guy drafted, and for a few years, none were yeah. drafted. Hey, one's better than none. We'd like it to be two BYU plus. will have one guy drafted, and then we'll see Braden L. Bakri and Corbin Kafusi get uh, their shots as free agents and go to some, some franchises they feel like they can fit in. Next. Last one, BYU Volleyball will win at least one set against Pepperdine. I think, I think yes. It was a long time ago. It's been like two months since they played in Malibu. And that uh, BYU team, this BYU team served really well Saturday against Stanford. This is a team that finally won in California. They were over for California. I think BYU's got some confidence. Pepperdine hasn't played yet. I know Pepperdine's at home. One of the assistant coaches for Pepperdine left for another head coaching job a couple weeks ago. So that's been an adjustment. I say yes. They'll take at least one set. Yeah, I was leaning no when I first looked at this question, but given the long layoff. Then you layoff, heard my answer. You're like, yes. No, no, no. Given the long <laughs> layoff, there is something to BYU having played a match. and kind It will of, have been five they, days. They're in the groove, and the confidence, I think, is probably at an all-time high for the season because they just did something they've never done. It'll be enough to string together one set. They have nothing to lose. One set? Come on. They're going for three. Let's go. Oh, I know up. they're going for three, but I'm saying, that they're, in my opinion, they're probably going to win one. They were swept, but... Probably no, going to win one. Yeah. Coming up, Jared Ward in studio. Did he run here from Boston? And is he the BYU Cougar that is having the best post-collegiate career in recent okay. memory? He's got a resume. This is BYU Sports Olympian. Nation. Olympian in the house. He also has a great stash still. Yes or no? Presented by BYU Food to Go. The MVP of your next event. BYU Sports Nation is presented by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. The 24-9 BYU baseball team heads up to Washington for a three-game series with the Huskies starting tomorrow at 9 Eastern on BYU Radio and the app. Welcome back to BYU Sports Nation with our question of the day. Which BYU Cougar has had the best post-collegiate career in recent memory? At BYU underscore game day answers on Twitter. Says depends on the perspective. Individually? Jared Ward. Accomplishment, Kyle Van Noy. Development, Ziggy Ansah. And missionary work slash influence, Jimmer Fredette. That's well composed. Perhaps we'll see that as uh, the elite one of the day. At BYU underscore game day's individual award for the best post-collegiate career in recent memory person is in studio with us right now, Jared Ward. Fresh off the Boston Marathon, finished yeah. eighth. You hit a target mark that you were really aiming for, and I know you were super excited about that. Uh, what have the last, uh, I guess, 72 hours been like for you as you transitioned back from Boston, now back into normal life? Oh, man, some sore legs and a plane flight and, uh, you know, avoiding stairs as much as I can. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't go by the Richards building then? I no, nope. Uh, the uh, semester's over as far as I'm concerned, and I'm going to take a couple months to recover, and then, uh, then I'll attack those stairs again. So you took sixth uh, in the marathon in, in Rio, and that was amazing in the Olympics. Um, and then eighth here in the Boston Marathon, top ten. I guess what was your goal, and were you 
uh, online for that. You ran a, I think, a PR, right? Yeah, yeah, two minute, two minute PB for me, and uh, wow. and I'm yeah, super happy about that. And uh, the the conditions were good; they weren't perfect, but they were good. And and uh, so the start line of the race, that's what I was thinking was, you know, I don't know, they, I mean, they really had an all star field there. They had. Uh, um, I think they had between men's and women's fields, they had nine people who had won the Boston Marathon at Whoa. some previous year. And, Incredible. And uh, and frankly, most of those runners are still pretty relevant right now. And uh, and so it was a deep field, and I didn't know you know where I'd where I'd stack up in there, but I, I certainly felt ready to run uh, sub two ten, and uh, and it earned me eighth. Two That's hours, awesome. nine minutes, 25 seconds. When you crossed the line and you knew that you had gone sub 210, what's going through your mind? Well, uh, Frank, so there was a guy out in front of me that I was closing on in the last few steps. And so I crossed the line passing someone not knowing if I had passed him or not. And so that was what was first on my mind. But then um, uh, saw my, my wife came out, Erica, and our uh, our youngest, Magnolia, three months old. and Magnolia? They were, Magnolia. That's amazing. Yeah. She's uh, and she's as pretty as a flower too. Yes, but um, yeah, met up with them. You know, they were right there after the finish line, and a big hug from her. And she didn't know how fast I had run, and so it was it was almost her reaction when I told her that I ran two oh nine that uh, that really was the special memory of running two oh nine because she was uh, just you know she started crying and was excited, and, and that was a fun moment for us. Had you run the you had run Boston before, right? One time, one time. What place did you take? Tenth. Tenth, okay. So but, you, I, but I was uh, two fifteen, and so at the at the time mm. it was I would have probably considered it my my poorest marathon performance at the time. Um, but uh, but it was just you know it was a little bit of hotter year and, and slower day. But it's such a big event, and it's one of the biggest marathons right that are out there. So what what's it like to finish in the top ten of that race, having been at the Olympics and now run this twice? It's cool. I mean, out, out, outside of the Olympics, it's hard. Um, I mean, there's a lot of good marathons and there's a lot of big marathons and, and there's a lot of them that I love, but, but Boston is certainly the, you know, kind of the oldest, biggest stage that, that you can compete on as a marathon runner outside of the Olympic games. So it's cool. The crowds are amazing. Um, and the, the buzz in Boston is real. The town shuts down for Patriots day or marathon Monday, whatever you want to call it. And it's a cool experience. Now, we all know uh, the tragedy that uh, occurred not too long ago in Boston, and it really has created this amazing Boston Strong movement. What's the culture like? What's the atmosphere like <clears throat> with that in play as you're running in the marathon? It's real. It's real. And, and Boston, like, you don't mess with Boston. I mean, we saw what happened in the hours that followed that, that tragic accident and how Boston came together, and, uh, and you don't mess with them. And, um, you know, I, I got the chance to go to a charity event honoring Martin Richard, the eight-year-old boy uh, that was that was uh, lost in that tragedy, and, and got to meet his parents and talk a little bit, and and it's fun, you know. And that's you know that's what I was excited to share about you know an outsider's perspective of coming into Boston is that um, that Boston cares, Boston rises up, Boston competes, um, and Boston shows you that you know they don't care who you are; they're um, they're there to to look out for each other. And and I do I think it's it's amazing that sometimes things like that can really um, you know people rally around uh, and and support each other in the aftermath. And and it's cool. That's why I love sports, man. It's it's, it's crazy. A, it's isn't a it? vehicle for these emotions. Yeah. Right? Um, at one point in the race, you were leading. 
Was that something you were hoping to do? And uh, I guess what was it like to to lead that pack of mostly Kenyans and then you and a few other guys, right? <laughs> well, yeah, it's pretty fun to lead the Boston Marathon. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wish I could have led it for a little longer. Um, but uh, no, it was, you know, really the, the move was at, at about 10 or 11 miles, the pace um, was slipping a little bit. And, uh, and I thought, this is my day to run 209. I'm not going to toy around um, running 10 or 15 seconds per mile slower for a few miles here while we get back to pace. I'm just going to go up and, and keep the pace the same. And uh, when I did that, uh, no one decided to go with me. And so I thought, well, if you want to let me win the race too, I'm okay with that, but I'm going to keep running this pace. Um, but what I found was up there was that it was, you know, it was just so fun to be in front of the Boston Marathon. You feel like, you feel like all of the, the crowds are uh, just for you, you know, when, when you're the only person running up there and you're the first one coming through. And um, so I led through the Wellesley Scream Tunnel and like, it, and it's deafeningly loud. Like your ears are ringing a little bit Ooh. after. And I, I gave him a little, uh, you know, cupped my ears. I went past, and it, it probably got twice as loud. And it was like it was so fun to feel like you know I was this I was a basketball player playing with the fans on the court or something like that. And uh, anyways, cool cool experience. And uh, and uh, don't regret it for a second hopping up there to lead, even if it was just for two or three miles. Well, that's awesome because we found out you were top ten and ran a PR in the middle of the show Monday. That's awesome. So we were stoked, man. So it's pretty <laughs> cool to have you in two days later. And uh, yeah, super super proud of you repping the way in that uh, that race. And then a Portland grad. That's right. Top yeah, 10 as well. yeah. So Ed, so he uh, Scott Fable. Um, kind of develop i mean i guess carrying this rivalry all the way from the the west coast conference but yeah he had a fantastic race huge breakthrough race for him and and super happy for him and um you know i think he both he and i are really uh looking forward to the olympic cycle and the olympic trials and and feel pretty well positioned for that yeah we're not too far away from uh the olympic trials next year yeah it's crazy feels like just yesterday we were in here talking about rio yes and I, I was watching you Sunday morning on vacation in Idaho, like in the marathon. Yeah, it was great. It was awesome. We, we might as well just give you the BYU Sports Nation karma now Let's for give whatever it to you, you yeah. want. We'll, we'll talk you to you utilize later for it sure. however you want. Yeah, Jared. we'll talk okay. to you later. For sure. and, and maybe it's just surviving the transition back into real life after the Boston Marathon. Sure. Um, I don't think you have signed our new Sailor Kook flag, have you? I don't think so either. I don't think so. In fact, okay. can you put my name yeah. on there? Yeah, yes, yeah, absolutely. we would love your autograph. Congratulations, yeah, like, man. I, I love the sailor, you know. These, yeah, uh, yeah, Sailor Kook's <laughs> the best, right? Let's go. We love your mustache, by the way, too. Oh, it's still there. It's just it's still there. part it's of the beautiful. legacy. It's part of the legacy. Okay, coming up, typically we give Ryzen shout-outs. I'm giving a Ryzen call-out. Oh. It's different. You putting someone on blast? Yeah, Boise State. Let's go. Plus, BYU is number one in something. Details on the whip next. This is BYU Sports Nation. What a guest lineup today. Shout out to Derwin Gray and Jared Ward. Fantastic. Two great, great people. Shows on demand via podcast and the BYU TV and BYU radio apps. Let's whip it. It's time for the Cougar Whip Around. Football. USA Today's draft wire ranks Sione Takitaki as the 18th best linebacker available in the 2019 NFL Draft. According to Takitaki's social media, he was with the Chargers yesterday and is visiting the Houston Texans today. Softball. Beat Utah Valley via the mercy rule in five innings last night. Nine to one, three Cougars went yard, including Olivia Sanchez, Alyssa Padorachek, and Riley Jensen. Jensen hit well to center field. Out of here! A home run to lead things off for Riley Jensen, and her bat continues 
to be red hot. Riley Jensen is the Louisville Slugger National Player of the Week after going 9 for 10 last week. The Cougars host number 3 Washington tonight, 8 Eastern on BYU TV Digital. Track and field. BYU men's decathlon team is ranked numero uno in the country. Ben Barton, Brian Matthews, Dallin Vorkink, and Caleb Witzkin. Congrats. Keep it up, guys. Cougars in the major leagues. Colton Mahoney is in the minor leagues, but pitched three scoreless innings, striking out three for the double-A Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp and a 3-1 loss to the Birmingham Barons. That's who Michael Jordan played for. In 11 and a third innings pitched, Mahoney has yet to allow a run. The Jumbo Shrimp. We know small shrimp. Today's rise and shout-outs now. And for me, Jerem, I'm giving it to Troy Warner. His response to the FBSchedules.com question, if BYU should be considered a Power 5 scheduling equivalent, and I quote from Troy, is water wet? (laughs) Yes. And then an account called uh, BSU, as in Boise State Sports Report, responded to Troy by saying, we've been getting a lot of Power 5 wins lately. The show's Boise State is 7-2 versus BYU. Well, the former Boise State Bronco commit, who made a freshman mistake on the Boise Blue, is going to play, said Broncos, October 19th. Mm. Really looking forward to In that. In P-Town. Let's go. Remember when it used to be called Cougar Town? I do remember that. And then ABC created a show called Cougar Town and kind of <laughs> messed up that up. <laughs> it went away. <sighs> Courtney Cox. I just got really excited about the home schedule again oh, for yeah. BYU. It's- Utah, Washington, USC, Boise State. It's... Almost too good, Spence. It's happening. It's fantastic. 130 foe days away. Thank you. Thank You're you. welcome. You got my slack. That's- Our question of the day, which BYU Cougar has enjoyed the best post-collegiate career in recent memory? The elite voice of the day presented by Sundance Mountain Resort celebrating 50 years. I'll Brent Robinson says. I'm old. My, so my memory is different than you, young whippersnappers. Danny Ainge, Steve Young, Jim McMahon, Pitta, Lewis. Don't throw Pitta in there. Jimmer and Taysom, Ben Owen, digging too many dimensions. Proud of old BYU athletes. <laughs> Sorry to Dennis Petter, we ran out of time. The conversation continues 24-7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Use the hashtag BYUSN. Brent, thank you for calling me a whippersnapper. You whippersnapper! No, no, that brought a legit smile to my face. It's been a while. <laughs> Since you were called whippersnapper? For Jeremiah Spencer, shout out to Scott Colley. We'll see you tonight on BYU TV Digital. BYU softball gets number three Washington, 8 Eastern.